Welcome to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Over the next hour, you'll discover unique ideas and perspectives about how to improve your health and the planet as well. Now, here are your hosts, Jimena and Lorenzo. Welcome. Hello and bienvenidos. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Planet, Healthy You. I am Lorenzo Rosenzweig, and I have more than 40 years of experience as an environmentalist. I am also a writer, a photographer, a grandfather of six, and a watercolor artist. Hey, hello, hello. I'm so excited to be here with you today. My name is Jimena Yanez. I am an author, a health coach, and a Reiki and biomagnetism therapist. I am the mom of two, and I love to say I am an, an environmental advocate for us and for future generations. Lorenzo, how are you today? I am fine. I am uh, here in La Paz, in the southern tip of Baja California, attending some meetings and very happy to be with you again. I am, I, I, I am in Denver, and we woke up today with a very wet and... and um, very cold day. So <laughs> we're here, here in here different have, environments. Yeah. We have a sunny setting here. Today, <laughs> we'll talk about the planetary limits or boundaries to help you understand what is really going on, considering there's a lot of conflicting information out there. <clears throat> we're here to bring you facts that you can double check later on your own so you can exercise your right to decide and make a difference in the world. To make important changes in your life, like losing weight or preparing your body to run a marathon, you need to measure your starting point and decide where to go and quantify your improvement. So let's us tell you the story of how we got into this crisis. What are the things you can do for your personal benefit and at the same time to support global efforts towards a healthy planet? And what are the odds, of course, if we fail to act during the next seven to 10 years? Feel free to call us before the second break in case you have any questions regarding the topics we are addressing today. Yes, Lorenzo, and, and we talk about the environment, but also your health, how the, the, both of them are connected, and what to do to live healthier and happier lives. So... Let's pause here. Talking about health, and before we get into matters, let's take a minute to breathe and relax. So start by bringing awareness to your breath. Take a breath in. Now, a breath out. Another breath in. And out. Last time, in and out. Just three mindful breaths are a powerful tool to bring you back to the present moment and ground. Now, let's go beyond that. Can you slow down your exhalations, perhaps making them last twice as long as your inhalation? What about inhaling in one, two, three, wait, exhale, one, Two, three, four, five, six. Wait a second there. Again, inhale. One, two, three. Wait. Out. One, two, 
three, four, five, six. As you stretch your breaths, you're tuning, turning in the rest and digest functions of your body. If you take five minutes every day to do this, you will notice you become calmer and more focused. But you might be wondering, why is this important? Stress is a normal reaction of your body, and it can go two ways. One is due to positive experiences like falling in love or maybe buying a new home. The second one is as a hardwired survival technique for protection. Have you heard the term fight or flight response? Well, it happens when something triggers you and mobilizes you to take action to avoid danger. This response activates your brain to signal the adrenal glands to produce hormones like cortisol or adrenaline. This response is perfect if you're being mugged or uh, if you need to get away quickly from a dangerous animal or situation. Unfortunately, the human brain cannot recognize danger levels. The stress response cannot recognize the difference between a life-threatening situation or maybe a worker environment-related anxiety. So if your brain is constantly sending stress signals for everything you are living, you will end up burning out over time. In normal cases, after any stress response, the body should return to balance or homeostasis. But when your stress reactions are too strong or triggered too often, your body remains on high alert. This releases stress hormones constantly. So why is bringing awareness to breathing important? Because it induces the body to preserve energy and rest, which is critical for your well-being. In today's fast-paced world, a return to a relaxed state doesn't occur like very quickly for most people. And chronic stress is disrupting the natural balance required for optimal health. That is why it is so important to find ways to activate the relaxation response. And focusing on your breath is one. Jimena, <laughs> amazing how something so easy that you can do anywhere and anytime works so well. I already feel relaxed and full of energy. Thank you, Jimena. <laughs> Great to take a pause now and then. Yeah, yeah. And let me tell you something mm. else. I love to stretch my exhalations because I can feel my body and mind restoring immediately. But doing breath work has a lot of benefits. Did you know that masters from the past concluded that human life should not be measured by the days, the, the uh, years we live, but by the breaths we take? These masters learned to elongate their breaths so they could live longer. And the intention was to have more years to reach illumination. There is a story about a sage that felt his life was coming to an end. So he asked his disciple to find the most auspicious day to die. The disciple studied the stars and concluded the best day was a few weeks away. The sage knew that his regular length of breaths was not enough to make it to that day in two weeks. So he went deep into meditation to extra elongate the breaths to the limit. So the story goes on, and the sage was able to master his breathing to a couple of inhalations and exhalations every day. And, of course, he reached his purpose. 
he died a calm and peaceful death on the most suspicious day to die. So now you know, lengthen your breath, and you will not only live more peacefully, but you will also extend your life. Besides, these breathing techniques, Jimena, are very useful when we are dealing with issues like eco-anxiety, which is very normal and justified because we're living in times of uncertainty, but surely times in which we can change the trends. And, and we will go deeper into eco-anxiety, but in the next show, next week. But the first, first and most important thing to deal with eco-anxiety is to gain knowledge so you can make the best mm -hmm. decisions. Yes. And for that, you need to know where we are right now. So what is happening in the world? During the last 10,000 years, temperature stabilized, allowing the planet to be as we know it today, our blue-green planet. During this period, the climate was predictable. Seasons took shape and the weather became reliable. Another important thing is that the levels of the oceans became stable. These conditions made civilization possible for the first time and allowed the establishment of the modern world as we know it. Because humans could predict the weather, they domesticated some crops like cereals and legumes. Life was easy and humans were nurtured and guarded. Scientists call this age the Holocene, and it's the only state of the planet that can support life, civilization, as we know it. And, and it feels weird to realize the Holocene is over. That age is over already. Around 1950, human activity and the exponential rise of human pressure on Earth started to become a game changer and a new geological epoch was born, the Anthropocene, which means the age of humans. And that name was given as we humans have been the primary drivers of change. We are playing a major role in the state of a planet. And it's kind of funny, my parents and grandparents were born in another age, the Holocene, but my daughters and I are generations of the Anthropocene. Interesting. I missed the Holocene then by three years. I was born in 1953. I cannot believe all of the changes I have witnessed in the last 69 years. The world has undoubtedly changed since the 50s. And in a single lifetime, we have warmed the earth by more than one degree. One degree might not seem like a lot, but this has not happened for the last 10,000 years. Consider this, for example. I was born and raised in Mexico City, a very large city, as you know. And then when I was six years old, my parents allowed me to sleep in a tent in the backyard. I still remember the anticipation of that expedition in my own home. I truly felt like a real explorer in the jungle. The backyard was surrounded by walls and tame vegetation, but in my imagination turned into a natural setting full of dangers and spooky sounds and lights. <laughs> the singing of crickets <laughs> and cicadas was overwhelming, and the fireflies looked like the fiery eyes of threatening little dragons. Even in a backyard surrounded by walls in the middle of a modern city, natural nightlife used to burst. 60 years later, backyards don't bear that much biodiversity. Nights have become silent, and the green lights of the fireflies are dim. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear you, and I remember, too. Almost every weekend, my family and I enjoyed our getaway to Yautepec, Morelos, in Mexico. And road trips at night used to end up with the windshield and the front of a car covered with smashed insects, which, by the way, I remember, were a pain to take off. So at night, back there in Yautepec, we felt as if we were in the enchanted forest, and we were bedazzled by those insects that reminded us of fairies. Uh, four years ago, I was lucky to visit with my family one of the last firefly sanctuaries in Mexico. And sadly, as forests are getting warmer and drying out, we're losing these delicate insects. So some of the magical creatures of my childhood memories, like fireflies, are almost gone. And also today's night road trips end up with just a few insect casualties. Yeah, well, good for the insects. Too bad that we don't have that many insects now. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing is that our own life as a species depends on the stable condition of the planet. We need all this burst of life to have food to eat, water to drink, and air to breathe. However, for the last 60 years, we have pushed the planet outside of the steady state it has been for 10,000 years. And yes, there is a risk that we could destabilize the whole planet. That's why it's important to talk and learn about the tipping points of our planetary limits. I remember during the last episode, you used a brakeless train to explain the exact moment of a tipping point, and I loved it. It was clear to me that it is a precise moment at which if the train does not stop, we'll crash downhill. Yeah, a tipping point is the threshold where change becomes irreversible. Once we reach the threshold, <clears throat> we will not be able to stop the next event. It's too late. We have entered the point of no coming back. But planetary boundaries are a little more complicated. Our planet is a connected system, and we are starting to understand that the crossing of one tipping point can accelerate the next tipping point, provoking a cascading combined effect. Like, like a domino effect, Ex right? Exactly, like a domino or a snowball effect that becomes an avalanche. There are some things absolutely necessary to sustain life on this planet as we know it, like biodiversity and functional ecosystems, aquatic, marine, and terrestrial. Second, sufficient native vegetation and forest cover three, healthy soils, four, water in clean rivers, lakes, and aquifers, five, a breathable and clean atmosphere, and six, two permanent ice caps in the north and south of the planet. So let's go back to the loss of biodiversity. In just 60 years, we have wiped out 60% of global wildlife population. Just, oh. just imagine that. <laughs> wow. And you might be thinking that this has not affected us or you, or me, or at least you ha we have not felt it, but we need biodiversity to grow food. Without biodiversity, we won't be able to feed ourselves. We need biodiversity to have functioning ecosystems. Take, for example, the world with insects we were taking, talking about a few minutes ago. As opposed to today's reality, we are losing insects, which is a major problem because they are pollinators. They are key pollinators for food crops. 70% of world crop species rely on pollinators. Mm -hmm. Sadly, the expansion of intensive monoculture 
is leading to a drastic decline in insects. Yeah, I just remember something I heard about two months ago. I heard that back in 2012, UK scientists retrieved short-haired bumblebee queens from Sweden. And the reason was that the, that species was declared regionally extinct in 2000, and as a result of a steady loss of its habitat due to intensive farming and the rising uh, pesticide use after World War II. So sadly, it's not just insects. And we're going to go to a break right now, and we will keep talking about biodiversity loss as we come back. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. So we were talking about loss, uh, the loss of biodiversity. So it's not just only insects. Today, a significant number of species are also threatened with extinction. Agriculture, land use, uh, pollution, hunting, and commercial overfishing have been listed as major threats to the loss of biodiversity. So consider these facts. 96% of the mass of all mammals on our planet today are us, humans, 8 billion people, and the livestock we have domesticated. This means that wild species only account for 4%. And also, of all the birds in the world, 70% are domesticated poultry. And 
This agricultural model is wiping out the fundamental element uh, food production relies on, because it's biodiversity. Food production relies on biodiversity and it's, uh, this agricultural model is whipping it out. So uh, biodiversity not only accounts for the species we can see. In future episodes, we will talk about microbial biodiversity and its importance in ecosystems, in our bodies and our health. Yes, we have to stop the loss of biodiversity as quickly as we can. And it's not just because of its beauty or moral responsibility as homo sapiens. Biodiversity is what holds our societies functional and lays the foundation for food production, clean air, clean water, carbon sequestration, and nutrient recycling. Mm -hmm. And also, according to what a dear friend of mine, Mr. Sven Lindblad says, Biodiversity, wilderness is the tonic for life. It's essential for us. Yeah, yeah. And, and I always say we cannot keep waiting for someone else to do it. We need to be the person we have been waiting for because governments, industries, corporations, they have economic interests that won't allow them to move as quickly as needed. So from a personal standpoint, your purpose and my purpose as individuals should be zero loss of nature. And you might be wondering, how can we do that? Well, let's start with simple, applicable actions. For example, don't use pesticides. Don't fumigate your home and yard unless it's absolutely necessary. Because there's another thing you should know. Pesticides are designed, among other things, to disrupt the central nervous system of insects. However, pesticides affect also the human central nervous system. So pesticides have compounds that imitate human hormones, and this is mostly the problem in hormone-related diseases nowadays. So start with the simplest thing you could do. Do not fumigate your house and do not spray your yard and plants just for maintenance. Use these products only when they are absolutely needed. I remember 15 years ago, and for no apparent reason I can recall, we sprayed the office. When the work was done, I thought it would be healthy to spray my home too. I did not have anything wrong back then. No harmful insects, no wasps, no scorpions, not even ants. But I wanted to go with the mainstream. You should fumigate at least every six months. So the company promised they were using organic and harmless compounds. So I agreed and they came to my house. And back then, my daughter was five years old and very fond of the two little parrots we had. The guys finished and left my house. And a couple of hours later, my daughter came running and in dismay told us that one of the parrots was dead. We could not believe it. So we went to see and indeed, one of, the, um, one of them was dead. Um, it was so fast and shocking. And in my mind, I was so convinced that the products were harmless, that it took me time to let go of what I believed. And it was until I opened my mind that I was able to receive new knowledge and finally understood that pesticides that affected the little parrot nervous system killed that little parrot in minutes. Yes, Jimena. Synthetic compounds are harmful, not just to insects, but to all living things. And it's not all synthetic compounds, but many of them. Mm -hmm. That little parrot died because of the disruption in its body probably the nervous system. But there was also a disruption in every single living organism at your house. 
yeah. including you and your family. I know. Because yeah. <laughs> there is not a single chemical compound that can harm a living organism without, to some extent, harming others or uh, doing some effect in the long term. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about agriculture now. Our agricultural model is not only taking a toll on biodiversity, but also affects a second planetary boundary that we are reaching very quickly, land cover, which is the composition and condition of all habitats on Earth like forests, grasslands, and wetlands. For 60 years, we have been transforming Earth's natural habitats. Let's take, for example, the Amazon forest. Since the 1970s, this forest has been reduced and fragmented for livestock, livestock and soya crops. The data shows that large parts of the forest are drying out. The Amazon had only three months of dry season, but since the, since the 1980s, it has been increasing by six days every decade. Its ability to recycle water and generate rain has been diminished. And if the dry season becomes longer than four months, the, the forest trees will die and the forest will go through a process called savanization. And this is happening to every forest on the planet. In the case of the Amazon rainforest, we have already lost 20%. As you need for more land to, for, to grow crops, deforestation is rapidly reaching the tipping point. In Mexico, in the state of Veracruz, we have lost more than 95% of the original vegetation. If you look into a map that describes the ecological integrity of the country, my country, you will appreciate how cities and primary activities like raising livestock or industrialized uh, agriculture have taken an enormous toll on our natural capital. Yeah, and the problem is not just the devastation of ecosystems such as forests and wetlands. In this massive destruction, carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere. And conventional agriculture is responsible for 80% of deforestation because they cut about 18 million acres of forest every year. And we have used half of the habitable land to grow crops and keep livestock. And we're not even talking about the oceans, but more than half of the ocean is actively fished. So what to do? One quick and effective countermeasure is your power on deciding what food to eat. If you're really interested in acting now, well, reduce your animal uh, product intake. And I'm not saying become a vegan. I'm just saying reduce. Bring more plant-based protein, fruits, vegetables, seeds, nuts, and cut processed foods as much as you can. Some years ago, I remember, a person told me that he had considered reducing his meat consumption, but he was very concerned about his libido rope dropping off. Well, that's a valid concern, Jimenez. <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And that reminded me of the myth that turtle eggs are an aphrodisiac for incomparable sexual potency and resistance. It was disbelief that triggered their consumption generation after generation and contributed to the in decreasing numbers of many sea turtle species. However, there is no scientific basis to support this belief, and, but sadly, sea turtles remained an endangered species. What is really happening is that the trade in turtle eggs is a huge industry 
that provides income to many people. If the eggs remain as demanded goods, there will always be somebody willing to supply them. So this happens with so many wild animal, animal parts and products like tigers or rhinos. The same with animal protein. It is an industry that provides income to many people. So they will, not, they will do whatever it takes to keep consumers consuming. So if you'd like to give it a try to reduce your meat consumption, but are concerned about your social status, power, stamina, maybe sexual drive, don't be because there is no scientific basis to support your endurance will drop. Actually, plant-based proteins from leafy greens, legumes, and seeds are easily digestible, packed with fiber and energizing properties that can make you feel more revitalized. Unlike animal meats, these sources of protein offer, offer a punch of energy without the crash effect, which is why vegans often feel energetic for longer periods of time. Also, you might want to know that your decisions on what you eat have not been your free choice. They have been socially conditioned for the last 60 years to follow certain consumption patterns. However, this concern about the probable lack of energy is very valid to some extent. If you reduce your animal pro protein, you'll have to be sure that you're bringing complete proteins into your diet, because if you don't, you will end up sick. So in plain words, this means you must make sure you're eating every family of plant foods. The trick here is called protein complementation, and it ensures that you're bringing all nine essential amino acids to your diet. How interesting, Jimena. Now that you opened the topic to dietary balance and amino acids, I would like to bring to the discussion the third planetary boundary, the flow of nutrients, the nitrogen and phosphorus cycles. Nitrogen and phosphorus are essential components of our all living things and also the key ingredients in fertilizers. We extract nitrogen from the atmosphere and phosphorus from the ground and transform them into a synthesized compound, fertilizers. The use of fertilizers has quadrupled, in some cases, the production of food around the world. Which might sound like a good thing for a growing population, right? As good as a thing this may sound, we got into the terrible habit of applying far more fertilizer than crops could use. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems comes when the unused nutrients wash into the rivers, over-fertilizing them too. This process is called eutrophication and it makes algae blue. Maybe you have been close to a lake that smells quite bad. It is, it is because of the rotting algae. As they decompose, they use of oxygen. The use of oxygen changes the chemical composition of the sediments at the bottom of these water bodies and provokes a vicious cycle that releases more phosphorus, more sulfur. So eutrophication keeps getting worse and worse on its own. But uh, just to clarify, this is not just happening in lakes, right? No, not just lakes. What, what is very concerning is that eutrophication, because everything is connected, is also happening in a few hundred dead zones in the world oceans as well. Rivers carry these nutrients and go cover thousands of square kilometers of coastal areas that become dead zones. This means 
the phenomenon is replicating across the planet, and this is a signal that the planet is losing its resilience. The second largest dead zone in the world is located in the Gulf of Mexico, along the eastern coast of the U.S. There is so little oxygen there that almost no life exists between these waters. This dead or hypoxic zone is getting larger every year because of the Mississippi River discharge of nutrients. Other zones are the coastlines of the Baltic States, Japan, and the Korean Peninsula. The overuse of nitrogen and phosphorus is one of the least known most, but most critical impacts we are having on the biosphere. Mm -hmm. and, and let me jump here for a moment. Fertilizers not only affect water bodies. The use of nitrogen-based fertilizers releases nitrous oxide into the atmosphere. And even though nitrous oxide accounts only for around 6% of greenhouse gas emissions, it is 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide when it comes to trapping heat in the atmosphere. And it also remains there for over 100 years. And maybe you are asking yourself, what to do? What should we do? Well, a good thing you can do is to go, of course, organic. But the best thing, if it's available to you, is to get in touch with a regenerative farm and buy from them. Regenerative farming does, doesn't use compounds as they rely on the soil's natural cycle. If we together transition to appreciate healthy soils and stop using synthesized chemicals, we will stop the washing of nutrients into the water and we will also allow soils to heal by themselves. And healthy, healthy soils are spontaneous carbon sequestrants. Yeah, and because we're talking about water, let me go to the fourth planetary boundary, the hydrological cycle. Freshwater is vital, fundamental to societies. You might not believe this, but if we make an average worldwide, each of one uses around 3,000 liters or three tons of fresh water every day. But as my daughters would say, wait, what? <laughs> but first, how much water is that? Can you tell us? And second, why and how are we using that much water? Let me, let me go <laughs> to your number so anyone can understand. Like, for example, your daughters. 3,000 liters is three cubic meters. To have a grasp on that amount, just imagine a cube of approximately five feet each side. All that water in that cube could fill 10 bathtubs or a large hot tub, a jacuzzi. Mm -hmm. Global statistics indicate that in terms of a household, We only need 50 liters for hygiene and drinking and 150 for washing and cleaning needs, so 200 liters in total. The balance of 2,800 liters is for producing the food we put on our plates. That means we don't consume it directly, but indirectly. So our diet has a significant impact on water consumption. But, 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 and this is very important. That amount of water is used mainly to produce animal proteins, right? Yeah. This figure is the water footprint of people that include animal protein in their diets. Yeah. So let me give you an idea. According to the World Economic Forum, to produce one kilo, which is 2.2 pounds of bovine meat, we use a little more than 15,000 liters of water that could fill around 80 nice bathtubs and interestingly, 
interestingly, this amount of meat will only feed about five to seven people. A kilo of pig meat and chicken would require almost 6,000 liters and 4,000 liters respectively. Now, on the other hand, a kilo of lentils or fruits uses around 900 liters. And depending which legume you use, you could feed between 16 to 20 people. And a kilo of vegetables uses around 300 liters. So if you are wondering how much water do we need to feed the world, it depends on what the world chooses to eat. Yes, we will be talking about choices um, in the next section, but now let's go to a break. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Being a mom is a physical job. You need to feel your best to keep up with all the challenges of running a family and still have time for your personal health. Able Active Moms gives you practical tools and info to gain the stamina and health you need for your hectic days and beyond. Joined weekly by expert guests, host Jeremy Brown will be covering a wide range of topics, including pre- and postnatal pelvic floor and core health, getting back into fitness after childbirth, and supporting fitness for the entire family, kids to aging adults. At the end of each show, we welcome you to join us with questions and be part of the discussion. Able Active Moms, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Yes, in our last section, we were talking about choices, choices, always choices. Smart choices do the best for the planet and the best for your health. In future episodes, we will have a conversation on regenerative ranching and agriculture, which are much better practices to put food on your table in a responsible way. We will be also talking about health, mental health, physical health, and the environment and green areas. Especially for those who will be talking in terms of diet, 
to those who want to include animal protein in their diets and reduce the environmental footprint. And this notion of environmental footprint takes me to a fifth boundary, the Earth's climate. Mm -hmm. During the Holocene, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere remained stable, around 280 parts per million. But this changed with the Industrial Revolution as we started to burn fossil fuels, releasing greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. The three main gases are carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. And what happens is that they trap heat in the atmosphere, causing an increase in global temperatures. 1998 was the year when we reached the tipping point, exceeding 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide. The sixth IPCC International Panel on Climate Change Report, which summarizes the state of knowledge of climate change, its widespread impacts and risks, has not so good news. We will list this reading material and others for you to go deeper into the concept. Yeah, and we hit that in 1998, but 25 years later, we are well beyond 400 uh, parts per million and quickly approaching to 450. So what will happen if we don't lower and at some point stop these extra human-made emissions? Well, the planet will keep warming up. We really don't know exactly, but we assume it will be warming up. So you see, and there's many effects, additional effects. The planet has two ice caps in the north and south, which have the capacity of cooling the planet. The stability of those caps kept the temperature stable during the Holocene. The ice caps reflect the sun's energy back to space, which accounts for 90 to 95 of income heat from the sun. Greenhouse gases trap heat in the atmosphere, increasing global temperatures. And because of raise in temperatures, the ice is melting, exposing bare, darker areas that absorb more heat. So it's a feedback system. Well, oh, so with the rising temperatures, we're losing both ice caps. So would you say that the ice loss is rapidly approaching the planet to the tipping point where its temperature system will change from self-cooling to self-warming? Exactly. And as the ice caps melt, their altitude lowers. Lower heights mean warmer weather, which speeds up the melting process. Greenland is already beyond its threshold, losing about 10,000 cubic meters of ice per second. And this rate will continue as the climate heats up. We are approaching the tipping point to prevent the melt of the ice caps, unless we can significantly reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. We have entered the danger zone. Another concern is that this melting of ice is exposing carbon and methane sinks that will release more greenhouses into the atmosphere, more negative feedback effects that we have to be worried about. So, yeah, so if we don't stop the emissions of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, we will not only lose those two ice caps and their power to cool down the planet, we will unleash tons of additional greenhouse gases that have remained beneath the ice caps for millennia, which will exponentially accelerate the already ongoing warming of a planet. That's right. And the effect of this accelerated warmings are evident. We have witnessed droughts, heat waves, forest fires, floods, accelerated melting of ice, and 
accelerated thawing of the permafrost. And that is why you might have heard that the climate warming boundary or threshold is equal to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Going beyond implies a huge risk for our survival. Right now, in the average, we are 1.5 degrees Celsius, but we are quickly moving to 1.5. Since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we have put into the atmosphere 2,400 gigatons of CO2. So that's 2,400 billion tons of CO2. To stay below the limit, we have a carbon budget of less than 300 gigatons or 300 billion additional tons. Mm -hmm. Our current emissions are 40 gig gigatons per year. And that, with the math, which is very clear, this takes or gives us only slightly less than a decade until we reach this planetary boundary. This means that our window of opportunity to prevent catastrophic climate change is within the next seven to 10 years. Oh, yeah. And this is one of the reasons young, young generations are feeling overwhelmed. The challenge is so big and it seems we have so little time that young people feel there is nothing they can do about it. I mean, in many cases, there is no other alternative for mobility than using a car and we need to warm up or cool down our houses. And we depend on the industry for our everyday activities. Yeah, and making the changes to face this particular challenge will require a lot of commitment. We know it's impossible to cut emissions with one solution and in a short time frame. So ideally, we bend the emissions curve with many solutions. Think about this. If we all together in a shared effort cut by half our greenhouse gas emissions every decade, we could be fossil fuel free in one generation time, which is, let's say, 30 years. Okay, and again, it's important to know where we are, to know where we want to be and how to start. So there are many calculators in the, on the internet which will help you to figure out your household emissions. And there are other interesting calculators which, based on what you eat, will show you your carbon footprint, uh, also yeah. your water and phosphate and other things. So... Yeah. It, it will allow you to make better choices, choose wisely, get the knowledge and decide. Unfortunately, Jimena, zero emissions are not enough. We need to draw down the carbon that's already overheating the planet. And there is only one very effective way to do this, restoring the soil and letting ecosystems restore themselves with vegetation. This is one of the most effective and achievable solutions to the climate crisis. And this is vital to offset the carbon we continue to emit as we strive to reach zero emissions as fast as we can. Yeah. And when you say we need to let ecosystems restore, are you talking about planting more trees? I'm talking about a holistic approach, which means understanding the big picture. The first and most important thing is to heal the world's topsoil, which we have been deteriorating for years. The second is to let nature do her job, nature-based solutions. We can plant trees only if we understand the ecosystem and the soil conditions and requirements. We need to know the native species that will thrive in that particular ecosystem and their interactions with other species. We will be never ever as intelligent as mother nature. So the best thing we can do is let her do the most most of the regeneration process. Yeah. Like in many other areas, 
Prevention is always easier than remediation or correction. There are three more boundaries I would like to quickly address. Boundary number six happens in the oceans and it's the, its impact could all outplay all of the other boundaries. About one third of the CO2 emissions end up in the oceans changing the chemistry. Over the past two decades, the ocean's pH has become 20% more acidic. I am sure you have already heard the term ocean acidification. Mm -hmm. Yes. As long as CO2 concentration in the atmosphere keeps high, the oceans will continue acidifying. We have seen in geological records that acidification has become an important factor in mass extinctions. In this matter, we are still in the safe zone, but pushing to the limits. The oceans are also warming up fast, which is provoking massive bleaching of coral reefs. This bleaching phenomenon is happening with increased frequency and intensity as a consequence of global warming. And to give you some perspective of the damage, a bleaching event will do 10 times more harm than the coral reef than a category five tropical cyclone or hurricane. So these kind of events go off the charts because they have a large environmental impact. During the past two decades, the, during the past two decades, we have seen shocking widespread bleaching. And three of the five major bleaching events have occurred in the past five years. Because of that, as we speak, half the reef squirrels have already been affected. Oh, no. So if we fail to act, we're heading to a future where colorful and full of life coral reefs will just be a memory of a long ago gone healthy planet? Yes. And sadly, it seems we have already gone past the tipping point of coral bleaching. No. Allow me to take you just very briefly to boundary number seven, which has to do with pollution. Since the Industrial Revolution and in the name of progress, more than 100,000 new compounds or novel entities have been created or manufactured. Compounds such as nuclear waste, persistent organic pollutants, plastics and mic microplastics are highly toxic and their interaction with the environment has had a huge impact on many forms of life. Some of them have already caused planet-wide disruption. The best known example from the past, remember, is DDT. Yeah, and uh, well, from a health point of view, what we're breathing also, right? Pollutants. Um, it heals over 7 million people every year and takes three years of the life expect expectancy of each one of us. So nine of, out of 10 people breathe polluted air. We have made that. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can talk about that. I live in one of the most polluted cities of Mexico. <laughs> but let's remember that the impact of these pollutants goes beyond harming the environment. They put our health at risk. Mm -hmm. It's comforting to know that we can solve challenges and only together we will. So if we cross these planetary boundaries, these thresholds we have been talking about, what are the risks there are for us? We have exceeded already four of the nine boundaries, climate change, forest loss, biodiversity, and nutrients. And we are approaching other irreversible tipping points. And if we cross them, we will get into a state that is unable to support our own civilizations. We are seeing increased drought impacts on the rainforest, forest fires, accelerated ice melt, 
and the collapse of coral reef systems. But the much bigger danger is when changes interact among them and have combined effects, just like the human body in a severe health crisis that combines circulatory with respiratory and digestive ailments. But Jimena, yeah. Yeah. can you give us a recap on a recap, a quick today? recap? Uh, you need to understand where we are right now. If you feel stressed, you can always come back to your breathing. To do your part in biodiversity conservation, don't spray your yard or house unless it's absolutely necessary. Reduce your animal protein intake. Don't think about giving up animal protein. It's just reducing it. Uh, you can go to the calculators on the internet and know what your footprint is. Uh, food has to be pleasurable, so go and look for recipes that are delicious. Uh, five, go organic if you can, but consider it's much important, much better to go regenerative. Six, reduce your carbon emissions. And this is a tricky one. How can you know your footprint in order to reduce it? Remember, there are many calculators in the internet. Uh, the EPA has one, and you can look for others out there. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm well, looking forward for our next, next conversation, Lauren. So we have <laughs> yeah, quickly approached the final of this episode. I really like this recap. So see you next week, uh, and, and, and thank you. Hasta la próxima. Hasta la próxima. We'll talk about echo anxiety. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. We hope you've learned something new today that can help you in your life and how to make this a better planet. Until next time, have a healthy and regenerative week.